welcome to the latest edition of my podcast series, The Banker's Plumber, Lessons Learned. What's up in banking? What's changing? What has gone wrong? What is going right? It's a great privilege to welcome two guests today, both of whom I've worked closely with in Zurich and New York, and both of whom have mentored me over the years. Mike Serto and Eddie Watts served Goldman Sachs in operations in both London and New York. They were exceptional talents of their day, something Goldman acknowledged when it included them in the very first cohort of senior managers to be designated managing directors back in the mid-90s. Mike, Eddie, welcome, and thank you so much for supporting my nascent efforts. Eddie, when we were setting up for this podcast interview, you dropped me a note and said, in my experience, things usually go wrong because people are in a rush and go forward without the proper checks and balances being put in place. Do you have a good war story to share on that topic? A number of times I got calls from salespeople who told me what they just did because the financial opportunity couldn't be passed by. (laughs) And I said, well, what do we have? Like, I mean, what the, do, you know, and like they all they said was, well, you've got to somehow handle it because we own it. And so I said, oh, okay, you know, then we, we, we figured out a way over the long run to handle that, of course. But the problem was they brought forward an operational risk that you sat there, you know, like, and you're scratching your head like, wow, we're already there. In the 70s, some, some investment banker would close a deal with, um, uh, you know, a, a, a very a good financing deal and create a bank account because they told him that you should open a bank account with my bank. And then we found out 10 years later, we had bank accounts we didn't know about anywhere in the world. What I remember bringing the three of us together um, was that time in New York when to come back to this operational risk scheme, we hadn't yet called everything operational risk. And we had this challenge that stuff would go wrong. And um, our partner was interested in trying to make sure that we actually learned something from things that went wrong, which is very close to that lesson that, uh, that you just talked about. Um, which of you guys remembers the origins with, uh, I think it was Larry Linden on this, um, how we got to lessons learned? We created a process that, um, that all of operations, we found there was a certain criteria, we found something that went wrong, and then we did something about it which uh, sounds obvious, but, but you know, with, a, with an organization that was spread out all over the world, it was not that easy. And, I, and I, listen, I, I, I um, um, uh, was in the middle of it, and, and I really, I think that the, uh, the consulting mindset of Larry Linden um, uh, was one that, um, added so much, uh, so much to what we did in terms of, of examining issues that happened and then trying to make sure that they didn't happen everywhere else. Mike, do you remember the very first incident that led to the creation of what we would later term the lessons learned process? It was 95, it was early 95. And um, 
I was just moving to head up, moving to New York from London to uh, the, uh, the J. Aaron Foreign Exchange operations. While I was still in London and before I moved to New York, a guy, a young trader in the Tokyo office, walked into his boss's office and said, listen, I've been hiding a loss for the last three weeks and I, and I can't do it anymore and I got to tell you. So it wasn't, this was nominal by banking standards. It was, a, you know, it was, a, it was probably traded been there for a year. He walked to his boss and said he was carrying it like a $600,000 loss and he'd been hiding it and he couldn't do it anymore. He was going to have a nervous breakdown or whatever. So he, he literally walked into his boss's office and told him. And so uh, Larry called me. I was still you know, running around in London and Treasury trying to clean up and go back to foreign exchange. And uh, he said, listen, we just heard about this. Um, don't you worry about it because you really don't know anything about foreign exchange yet. You haven't taken over that area. We're going to send Paul Bird, who was the foreign exchange guy, who was, you know, then was just starting to work for me. And don't you worry about it. You know, Paul, I said, no, listen, I said, here's an opportunity for a guy who doesn't, you know, who knows treasuries, but is not an expert in the foreign exchange market to go and find out if you can go examine someone who's been stealing from you. He said, that's the best way to, that's the best way to find out. So Paul and I, who were both still on it, got on a plane and flew to Tokyo. And what was happening was interesting. And, you know, it wasn't that complicated. Uh, uh, and it would have been caught out eventually at month end, which is a longer story. But um, it was interesting because um, uh, it was a, it was as a lot of these errors and issues become. It was a, a pattern of exception that became acceptable. And so, what would happen is this guy who was you know trading? I don't know what he was trading. He was trading something, and. Um, you know, whatever currency he was trading. And he was, um, he was, whatever his loss limit was, he was over it. And I'm telling you, it was nominal numbers we'd be laughing at today, you know, 25 years later. But it was, he, he was uncomfortable and was concerned he was going to be fired uh, if, um, if, you know, they found that out. So what he would do is at the end of every, and he figured this out, watching what was going on around him in operations and his, uh, the other areas, he would, book at the end of every day a profitable trade to make up for his losses and put him within the scope of within he was within his limits of his position limits and back into profitability and positions the next morning the first thing he would do was cancel that trade so operations would cancel the trade you know any any comparison with the counterpart on the other side. And it was usually, it was with Interbank. It wasn't with customers. He did an Interbank trade, he'd cancel it. I'd call this a case of having an inadequate procedure. As I look at this, it didn't seem that they had a good procedure and just forgot to do some things. They just didn't have the right procedure for this particular task. Things that didn't happen affected controllers and operations. They wouldn't be with a canceled trade. 
they wouldn't recalculate the profit. So the controllers department, which we, you know, para, proprietary risk and accounting, I canceled trade fund, but there was no recalculation. If they recalculated the profit based on the as of cancel, he would have been, you know, his million dollar loss or whatever the hell the number was, seven hundred thousand would have shown up and, and lights would have gone off. It, and nobody picked it up and they should have. You know what I'm yeah, saying? No, no, exa exactly. I think that was the problem, I think. He yes, it, no, this, it should have been, been picked up. up. It should have been, but, but it, it didn't. He would have been picked yeah, up at I month know. end when they adjusted, when they said, okay, here's books as of close of business. They would have done the as right. of adjustments and they would have seen the loss. But he was happily rolling. And the next morning, he would trade, try to get out of his losses. And that night, he would book another profitable trade to someone who would cancel with tomorrow morning. So he was rolling his trade. He was basically rolling the loss forward. Right. And, and right. So, and he was so, a young so, guy. I remember he was a young guy. He was a young guy. He was not stealing. He was not. He was just unprofitably trading and afraid that he would lose his job. Right. And, um, right. and he, he, listen, he, he, he said that he told us what he had figured out, how we'd done it. And so, um, again, because, because foreign exchange was common all over, you know, we, we, the, the operations were common, you know, in all of the areas. Uh, we went out and we went out to all the managers and uh, controllers in all areas and made sure that, you know, we went out with a, probably the first time ever to multi-areas and said, okay, here is, a, here is something that happened. Go examine what you were doing. And I think, again, from my perspective, having been <laughs> there at the edge of it, I think that was the first time that, um, uh, at least in my knowledge, uh, because I just started working for Larry, that we started, and that's when, he, when I moved back to the States, he gave me a little pinch and said, I think we should start this group who does this basically as, you know, part of their responsibility, find people in every region and let's, you know, find the stuff that happens, whatever reason, and go, um, and go solve. So if something goes wrong day after day and there's really no questioning of whether things are right or not. Eddie, have you got some thoughts on that? Well, isn't, the, isn't this really the problem? The problem is that there are exception procedures and people expect them to happen, okay? So my question is, why would we have exception procedures? Why don't we find out how not to happen? Well, I mean, that's, yes. that's the, the problem is, because Mike, you hit on it, because people who get everyday exception procedures, you know, fix them however they're supposed to fix exceptions. But right. they don't dive into them and say, why am I getting them? How can I prevent them? There's something wrong with the way we do this. Yeah, what is, what's wrong with the wrong. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there has to be something wrong. And so, so one of the things that probably doesn't happen is... So they have a real smooth running procedure somewhere. And part of that procedure is, you know, we get the exception report each day and we tick it off and we do what we have to do. Okay. But nobody goes back in my mind automatically and says, 
let me start and review the entire procedure from the very, very beginning. I say that you probably, uh, uh, probably can answer this better, quite better than Eddie or I can, because we are both removed from the you know day-to-day -day operations for more years than you know your children. I'll give the two of you my summary view from closer to the action uh, than either of you are now, which is it has got a lot harder. So Eddie's point that he just made was, well, if you keep having these damn exceptions, you should be upset enough about going through this to, to push back and go, why don't we fix it once and for all and get to the, the root cause of the problem? Um, I think there are two challenges in that. Um, today that are more marked challenges than they were when either of you gentlemen were, were running op large parts of operational departments. One is people don't know. So what has happened in my recent time and then after the two of you left the industry is we've become much more fragmented. We've got very happy about outsourcing, nearshoring, all the rest of it. Um, when you want to fix something, if I talk to people who are my peers, they'll tell you, hey, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we could get three people in a room, we could fix something. Now I got to get 12 people in a room. And in fact, nine of them are somewhere else. So yeah, that yeah. everything's got dissipated. That's but you're going to laugh, you're going to laugh at this, though, okay? You're going to laugh a little bit at this. But Go one on. of the things that continues to drive exceptions, okay, is a thing called job security. And, and there are people who do this every day, and I know one of them, I'm familiar with one of them who has just recently lost a job, okay? Her job was to work on all the exceptions every day. And every day she worked on the exceptions, and she fixed the exceptions. But she would never think to work on not having the exceptions because then she wouldn't have a job. So if we're willing to accept that in some cases at the bottom of the organization, people will have an eye out for their own jobs, that would leave us with the leadership question. How hard are leaders trying to improve processes every day? Yes, yeah, yep. an operational problem. Like, yes. where is the supervisor who doesn't say, we need to find out why you get these exceptions and not, not have them anymore? That's absolutely a correct observation. And I think what can then compound that, even if, as the supervisor, you looked at it and went, really, we shouldn't be doing this stuff. We could do other stuff, even if you took that view. Uh, yeah. and, and you weren't super worried about job security. Uh, the other challenge uh, that has come on uh, more recently is that the change, the change the bank budget, the discretionary budget is smaller and smaller. So it's harder to get things done even when you get to the front of the list, which is often a long list. So you've got those two factors driving it, plus what Eddie said, which is, somehow at, at some levels there's often a an acceptance that just doing today what you've done yesterday and the day before that the day before that is kind of okay because at least you have a job 
the, the discretionary budget is shrinking, and and so it's harder to get a few dollars out of there for something that people feel well. What is that really going to buy us? You know what I'm saying? So it so seems to me you have yeah. To, yeah, you have to prove you have to prove everything about where you're spending all the money. Over the years, it becomes harder and harder to make the case. Eddie, I think you had a thought on how you would do that in times past. Well, I don't know exactly what it's going to buy us, but it's going to let me sleep at night, you know? Reputational risk was, and still is, a major concern for all banks. Mike, do you have a couple of words on how we used to think about it back in Goldman days? No, we always say not to be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal tomorrow morning is, uh, you know, that is that have we lost that perspective? Because there were, uh, you know, are we losing that uh, as we try to upgrade into the thought process of 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 making things efficient? Do we lose the you know are, you know is there a, is there a risk of losing the historical knowledge of stuff that's gone wrong before and could very easily go go wrong again? But, but people don't remember it, so there's a chance that, you know, 20 years later, it could all happen again. I think that's true. I, I think, you know, what you're hitting on there is uh, the apprenticeship view of life, that there's, a, there's an apprenticeship that needs to get served. I think that there was a time when either Michael or I could sit down and we could take whatever product we were handling and we could tell you, from beginning to end, every single step of the way and what it meant. I'm not sure that happens today because of the specialization. I'm not sure you have somebody who could sit there and say, let me look at this wholesomely. Let me take it from beginning to end because, because you're saying it, Olaf, that the specialization has come to a point where, you know, I put this bolt on and then you put this screw in. That's that's what we do. And we don't know that that holds on the fender. So Gentlemen, I think up. I'm going to thank you both for okay. Well, it was fun <laughs> engaging with me. I will I will edit. You'll hopefully get ten minutes out of that judiciously. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Banker's Plumber: Lessons Learned with me, Olaf Ransom, and my very special guests, Mike Serto and Eddie Watts, both of Goldman Sachs, well, a long time ago. To wrap up, a couple of observations from those two seasoned veterans. One is that quite often the source of failure is fools rushing in where angels fear to tread, or in other words, the front office just not understanding what the back office does and what they need to do before you start new business. We also talked about the importance of the end-to-end view and really understanding the entire process in operations and how transactions get processed. This is becoming harder and harder for all of those in the business as we become more specialised. That's it from me for this podcast. I look forward to having you join me on the next one. Bye-bye.